We have a passage this morning where it talks about the promises of God. Um, in Psalm 27, we're going to read it. I'm going to read the whole thing through, and then we're going to focus just on one verse uh, this morning. Um, <clears throat> I have a, a friend um, who I used to serve with in ministry, and uh, his theology has come to a point where he doesn't believe at all in any sort of atonement theology. Um, but we get to the season of Lent, and he loves it. <laughs> he just loves the season of Lent, which is interesting because that's what we're moving towards is uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I found that interesting, and I, I believe that, um, you know, it, I guess it kind of led me to ask why. You know, why is that such a, uh, an important time um, for people who may not even believe um, in Jesus' atonement? for humanity. Uh, and I believe, you know, I said this last week, that Lent opens up possibilities for kingdom living and renewal. You know, we come to Lent and hopefully by the end we realize that, you know, there's more options for us. And I believe uh, all those other months, um, even though we have seasons uh, throughout the calendar, Lent is one in particular where it's a time of uh, uh, Relooking at the limits around us, uh, reestablishing limits or establishing limits. Maybe we're way at the beginning and it's establishing limits or reestablishing limits. Um, and so it opens up new possibilities for kingdom living. Um, <clears throat> and that's what Jesus is doing in the wilderness for those 40 days. He's being tempted and he's establishing some limits. And so it might be worth imagining uh, for a moment what would it be like if Jesus. Uh, gave in to those temptations, right? So the woman who comes to him and, and worships and pours out this expensive bottle of perfume, which seems like a waste, it's a sacrifice. Um, maybe Jesus would say, oh, you know, maybe we should save that and use it for this purpose. This would be, we have an important ministry, maybe we should use it for this, rather than this withholding and sacrifice. You know, he says no to the bread uh, when he is hungry, when he wants something. Um, the devil tempts him to, um, you know, sort of realize, you know, gives him the power over the kingdoms of the world. And we're reminded in Luke, his very first sermon in his hometown, they're ready to make him king right there. I mean, that's a good opening day, you know, for ministry. Let's make him king. And, you know, maybe the temptation is, yeah, let's do that right now. Let's make it happen now and start uh, putting, uh, you know, the machine in motion to make this happen. Um, Jesus always seems to avoid that, uh, that focus on himself uh, in a way that uh, uh, places too much attention on his own personality, this kind of cult of personality. Um, and he, he, uh, he sneaks out through the crowd and sneaks out of town and they don't make him king. And, that, you know, they're also angry with him in one scene, too, where they want to run him off. Um, that's a bad start to ministry right there. Um, <clears throat> or maybe uh, he wants to presume upon God. Right? He says, you know, the devil says, throw yourself off this uh, temple wall. God will protect you. And there's this idea, there's this temptation to presume that God has your back, um, even if it seems like a foolish thing. So maybe when he is tempted and when he's arrested in the garden and Peter pulls out his sword, he could say, yeah, God is behind us. Let's fight. Let's fight. <laughs> What if he did that? I mean, what if he gave in? So Jesus is establishing limits to his ministry, and it opens up 
uh, new forms of worship and ministry. And I think that we look at those temptations and we say, wow, this is what God is like. We see Jesus in the wilderness and we say, this is what God is like. This is what God looks like. And I, I, I want to challenge us to think about it in a different way. Perhaps God is in the wilderness and saying, this is what humanity should look like. This is what a thriving, flourishing humanity looks like. Look at Jesus in the desert. Here's what it Here's, God is showing us something. We look and we think, oh, there's God. But I think God is saying, no, look, here's what humanity looks like. Look at my son in the desert, establishing these limits. And once we establish these limits, there's freedom and there's uh, you know, a way forward. And we're able to uh, discover um, <clears throat> new, saying, new things. And I think often we want those promises that we're going to read about here in Psalm 27. We want all these incredible promises of God. And then, um, you know, we look at him in the desert and we say, oh, I can't, I don't think I can do that. I don't think that's the way for me. You know, I can worship God. God does this. But God's trying to show us what we should look like. Right? Um, <clears throat> so Lent is about this season where we reestablish these limits. Um, and we walk with Jesus during this time. And we help, we not help, but we, we walk with him as he's preparing for his own crucifixion. Um, and so what are those limits? You know, maybe it's overworking, not spending enough time with family. Maybe it's uh, anger, frustration, and letting that get the best of us. Maybe it's addictions. Uh, maybe it's overspending. Uh, seems like overspending is easy these days. We're overspending and getting less. Um, and maybe that makes us angry. And we have to set limits on that anger and frustration. I saw some meme that uh, it was addressing this issue of how people are angry about what we're spending on gas. And it really... Uh, shifted our perspective. I think it was meant to shift the perspective to the people in Ukraine who uh, their houses are being bombed. You know, they don't have this opportunity. So um, that's a good perspective change. And Lent does that. Um, <clears throat> so I want to I give us a little bit of a roadmap. And I, I think this happens in uh, Psalm 27. We get a little bit of a picture of um, maybe three things we can think about as far as a roadmap to Lent, because I think that typically we come to Lent and we think about what we just need to withhold from. And that doesn't sound too exciting. That never sounds like uh, I'm going to get much out of that. And in the last few years, I know for me, there's been a, there's been a shift in understanding Lent. And it used to be, what am I going to just quit for now? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to drink coffee uh, I think one year I gave up coffee, but not caffeine. I drink, you know, a whole lot more tea than usual. Um, and that is powerful because you do, you do get to sense the limits that your body places on you and the, and the rhythms that you've uh, allowed to happen in your uh, desires. Um, but um, lately, in the last few years, I've been thinking more about what do I want to accomplish in Lent rather than what do I want to withhold from? Um, what's the vision? Where do I want to be at the end rather than just coming up with something I want to um, step away from? And so I want to talk about that a little bit. We have this passage. It doesn't sound very lenty to me, but uh, it's our reading uh, for this week. And it's out of Psalm 27. My favorite verse of the Bible is in here. And so at first, I'm just going to read through this and then we'll look at verse four. Um, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. Why should I tremble? 
When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. So you have these statements of faith in the midst of trouble. And you have this image of uh, an encampment. I remember traveling to um, Israel and we went up on Masada, which is a, plat- it's a plateau. Uh, and it was, um, there was a fortress up there, a Jewish fortress. And the Roman army came and just surrounded it. And when you're on the ground, um, it just looks like it's a desert, right? It just looks like rocks. But then when you're up high and you look down, you can see that the rocks are actually old. It's an old wall around the whole thing. They're just crumbled and little encampments. And I, I remember that from Masada. I was looking down and you can see the old Roman encampment around the whole thing. It's just that when you're down below, it looks like crumbled uh, rocks. Um, <clears throat> and so you have this picture of being surrounded. And then... The psalmist writes this, One thing I have asked of the Lord, the thing I seek most, this idea of single-minded devotion, right, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. For He will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in His sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. And you have in the middle this picture of the sanctuary, this person wanting to be there so badly. And I think if you have a picture of being encamped around by enemies, that picture of the sanctuary is a place of safety, right? Because uh, that's a very uh, important building in your city. So where is it placed? In the most protected spot. It's on the highest spot. It's got the highest walls. You want to protect the palace. You want to protect the sanctuary. So that is a place of safety. And then we get into these petitions. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and love uh, and mother uh, abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. That's kind of a disturbing image. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. And that's probably what the real trouble is here. There's legal proceedings, uh, injustice. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath they threaten me with violence. Yet I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Wait patiently for the Lord. And so this last section is all petition. Hear me as I pray. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant. Do not leave me. Don't abandon me. Teach me how to live. Lead me along the right path. Um, A beautiful psalm. And my favorite is in the middle. One thing I've asked of the Lord, the one thing I seek most. And this picture here is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating 
in his temple. Um, other terms here, uh, this has uh, to live and delight and to meditate. I'm going to use the terms that we saw in the prayer, which would be dwell and behold and inquire, to dwell. So if we're thinking about Lent and how we proceed on, you know, into Lent and, and through Lent for 40 days, and now we're probably at about 30 days at this point, right? So we're about a week and a half in. I wanted to look at these three things, to dwell to behold and to inquire, um, to take time. So to dwell, to live there. And so the picture here is someone who's going to take their time. And in our culture, there's always rush, 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 move, move, move. And so Lent and these other seasons that we find in the church, particularly once we get beyond Pentecost, there's a long season, about six months. Um, we have, you got to spend time in this. We got to take time and slow down and to live there. And I've tried to pair some questions we see from the Bible with each of these things, to dwell. And so a question here, this is what we talked about with Floodgate last week, is where are you? We asked the question. It's the first question that God asks of humanity. Where are you? And I love this question because it shows that God is seeking you out. God wants to know. Right? He's not ask, God's not asking for so that God knows. <laughs> God's asking so that we have to answer it. We've got to think about it. And there's a sense of slowing down and taking time. And so we have Lent that is 40 days long. We're thinking, how long is this going to be? It's going to be a while. You're wondering, how long is this sermon going to be? It's going to be a while, right? You got to take your time and slow down and, and chew on it. And when, you, when you're stopping to ask this question, where are you? It's a multifaceted question. It's where are you emotionally right now? Where are you financially right now? Where are you professionally right now? Where are you physically right now? We're at a place that is, we have a whole bunch of new neighbors now as a church. And we haven't really met them because it's been cold. We've been in the, in the dark, you know, winter, lightening up a little bit more this afternoon. But um, I'm looking forward to uh, it warming up and seeing who our neighbors are in this place. And it came, it just struck me that I don't think we've ever, as a church, had a lot of neighbors, really, in all the other locations we've been at. This is a great opportunity. So sometimes maybe it's very little. Where are you? But it's a, you know, our life is like this ecosystem and it all feeds into one another. And so when we're asking, where are you? It, it's about where do you live? Where do you dwell? This is about living and dwelling and where do you spend your time? And so we have 40 days maybe to ask that question and slow down and discover where we are at. And there's lots of things we can do as Christians to help foster that, that sometimes pop up during the season of Lent. One thing I was, I was talking to Lisa about is that we've, it's odd, during pandemic, while we're home all day, we've kind of let the idea of Sabbath, spending Sabbath, kind of go. We, you know, I used, that used to be a time where we just slow down and we think about the last week and we celebrate uh, rest and slowing down. And uh, Sabbath is not an easy thing in our culture because it's go, go, go. And there's lists to do. And there's, and there's this underlying assumption that we need to be productive in doing something. There are some Saturdays where I'm bored and I don't like that feeling. And then I'm reminded that it's good to feel that way sometimes because it means you're slowing down and you're left to look around with what you have. Right. Where do you dwell? Where do you dwell? Where do you spend time? Um, 
But I love that God asked that. Where are you? Prayer is a time of slowing down. Silence, solitude are all ways of dwelling. We don't like solitude and silence because we don't like what boils up when we do that. It makes us a little nervous, right? We don't want to, we want to keep our minds moving. So when we think of fasting, we think of uh, Lent, we think of dwelling and spending some time. Where are you? Ask that question and be honest with yourself and find people you can ask each other. Ask your families this. Where are you? So then he moves on to behold, gazing upon, studying the beauty of the Lord. It's this idea of uh, now that we're dwelling, we spent some time here. Now we begin to look at something. And um, I love the idea of delighting and beholding. And I notice that when I stop, when I stop to dwell, I start to notice things. There's been this, I think I mentioned it uh, last week. It was kind of funny uh, the way I'd mentioned it, but really it was a, a very special moment. But in this retreat I was at last week, there was this moment on the last day where I had a little bit of time. There was no one out in the dock. And the going to the dock was a long, it's a long dock out there because you got to go through the marsh to get to where the creek is. And so I saw, I, you could see it clearly. There's no one out there. I'm going to go out there. A little bit of quiet time before I leave. I walk out and I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm walking. Get all the way out there. Just spend some time. I'm praying. I turn to come back and I hear this funny sound as I'm walking back. And it's two dolphins, two dolphins. Uh, there's four. Actually, there's four. Two are out in the creek, and two are right by the dock. And I'm like, this, they're gonna go. They're gonna go right under this thing. So I walk back out, and I'm watching them the whole time. They just come right up, and they go down, and I can see them. I step over here, they come under the dock, and it was incredible. It was incredible to behold something, to look at something that's going to lift your uh, spirit up to something that's a bit more transcendent, a bit more beautiful. And it happened years ago when I went to Gloucester. I, I went in May and um, there's all these shrubs out behind uh, the living, the dorm, I guess. And they're huge shrubs. They're those things that are, they're, I don't know what kind of tree they are but it's like a shrub that you don't know if it's a tree or a shrub. It's too big to be a shrub, too short to be a tree. It'd be like really big uh, rhododendrons. Like my grandmother had huge ones that you could uh, go underneath. I don't know what kind they were, but they were back there and there were paths to them. So one morning I get up early at this retreat and I'm walking out there and there's, it's, it's foggy out. It's on the coast and there's fog kind of going through the shrubs and on these paths i'm just walking along i come to an intersection and i look down and there's another intersection right there other paths over there and I, I step out there and i turn and look and right when i do that there's this coyote that steps out and looks oh, wow. and i look over and the coyote looks over at me and we just look at each other and then i just trot it off and i said all right i'll go this way and <laughs> okay those moments are amazing uh, I would have missed it if I hadn't turned around and just spent some time there and spent some time gazing upon. And we're talking about beauty. This is a place where the person finds this a very beautiful place. They don't want to just go visit the temple. They want to dwell there. They want to spend time. And the temple is this beautiful place. It's all decorated with uh, images of creation because it's meant to mimic uh, the creation story where God creates creation. It's this place where uh, you can kind of go into e uh, uh, Eden and worship. That's what it's meant to mimic. And so this is a beautiful place. And that's why when we read, there's so, there's so much wealth and, and riches and artistry that goes into building the temple because it's beauty. And there's something about beauty that um, it's, 
Oh, how had this person put it? Um, Beauty is God's presence being sensed. (laughs) Sensing the presence of God. And I love that because it doesn't necessarily have to be something that a Christian does or someone who's Jewish does, that if you're in the presence of something beautiful, something that's done very well, your, your spirit is lifted. And we need that because all the things that keep us in our ruts, that Lent is supposed to churn up and try to get us out of those ruts, you know, the shame that we have and the, the, uh, the, the areas where we're so self-conscious that seem to direct our lives and what we do, we need something beautiful to press against that. We need something beautiful to uh, shake us out of the, the attitudes that we settle down into, to confront us with something beautiful. I have to confess, I love dark series on TV. I don't... I was going to say I don't know why, but I do know why, because there's something beautiful when you see uh, something that's really well done and that um, you can see beauty in the midst of darkness. I, was, I guess the one thing I, I think of as a series um, that I really enjoyed was Breaking Bad. And here you have someone who's trying to, um, uh, trying to rise above the depths to which they're willing to go to provide for their family and it's this it's dark and it's a little bit depressing but I don't know why I love it I guess it's because there's something so well done with the acting and there's something so well done with the writing and there's something so well done with what they're trying to convey that you if you can be able to see that then there's something beautiful there now not all things on Netflix that are dark are necessarily artistic or good Um, don't get me wrong but there is something about that. And I know there's, okay, no one's, you know, I know that there's other people that feel the same. <laughs> so, no, don't judge me, but. <laughs> I like series that wrestle with that, that wrestle with it and hit it head on. Uh, there's something about that that lifts my spirit. Um, like the human element. Right. So, there's scripture, you know, we just read Psalm 27. Maybe it's a time to dwell looking at beauty in Scripture. Psalm 27. Uh, John 4, Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman is an absolutely beautiful picture. It's like a painting on how to interact and the way God interacts with people who are uh, struggling and are broken. It's a beautiful thing. Revelation, I believe in the season of Pentecost, we'll get into Revelation. That's a beautiful book. Um, Beholding also... um, that time in the week where you, as a family, you look back and say, what was, where did you see God happen this last week? It forces you to slow down, to dwell, and to gaze upon those moments that you might have forgotten about. And, you know, I might have forgotten about the dolphins if I didn't use it as an illustration, but then it forced me to think about, where have I seen that? That was one of those moments. So, beholding the beauty of the Lord. <clears throat> And by the way, we need others to do that for us. We need others to gaze upon the beautiful things that we offer and to speak those into our lives. Right? Amen. That's what God does. And we are God's people, so that's what we need from one another. And that's how we get that from God. <clears throat> so a question there might be, who do you say that I am? If where are you is dwelling, beholding would be, who do you say that I am? We look at Jesus and ask ourselves that question. What do we see here? What do we behold? 
what do we say about that? Well, how do we answer that question? And then finally, he says, inquire. This is uh, in the version I read, it was meditating on the Lord. And it's this idea of asking questions. Um, and that's, I love that because once we've dwelt there and we've taken stock of where we're at and we begin to behold the beauty of the Lord and the beautiful things around us, we begin to ask questions and ask questions. When we ask questions, we get things moving, right? That's what questions do. They get you moving. That's why we like to ask questions here. And I love this question that Jesus asks us is what do you want? The man he's, he's healing. What do you want me to do for you? And he has a real simple answer. I want to be able to see again. But it's a great question. And it forces us to slow down and ask ourselves, what do we really want? It's a hard one to answer. Because we do so many things, and underneath all of that, there's this digging that goes on that we realize, what do I really, really want out of this? You know, What do you want? And it's an invitation that has some demands to it. Um, it forces us to look at our own desires. And sometimes we don't want to look there because we're embarrassed about them. We don't want to vocalize them. If we vocalize what our real desires are in life, we feel a bit vulnerable. And we, so we don't tend to go there. So it's good as we think about dwelling and gazing upon and asking those questions. What do you want? Because it helps to mobilize us to move forward. It forces us to ask, what if? You know, what if we did this? Um, how can we do that? Um, <clears throat> it invites us to confront things that are holding us back. It gives us vision for moving forward, right? Asking questions, moving forward. So in terms of Lent, you know, uh, I, I, what I want us to think about is something beyond just, all right, what am I going to give up for these 40 days? Um, this time around, I had a project, a project, a wood project down in the basement that I started like a year and a half ago. I got two steps into it and set it aside. Um, and so for Lent, it wasn't so much what am I going to give up, it's what am I going to do? And, and I want to create this piece of art. And so I've taken up that project. And the idea is to get that done before the end of Lent. What does it have to do with giving up, you know, and setting limits? Well, it cost me time to do that. Um, it's not just, uh, you know, sitting around watching Netflix, dark shows on Netflix, you know, I got to turn that off and go and actually do this and think about how am I going to do this? Ask questions. I got to dwell upon it. I got to take time and think about it and ask questions and imagine the beauty that may come from this. Hopefully we'll see. Um, but that's what that I believe that that's what Lent could be as well is moving forward, having a project that we're moving forward. That's going to force limits on us. Um, so to dwell, to behold, and to inquire, where are you? What do you, who do you say that I am and what do you want? Um, I hope that gives us a different framework to approach Lent and to think about. And I don't want to stop there. You know, we have, um, after Lent, after the resurrection, uh, we have this beautiful picture, one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible. If you want to meditate on something beautiful, read this passage. Jesus or, or Peter has had one or two interactions with the risen Christ. And then on the third one, we see at the end of Peter, they're sitting at a beach and they're sitting around a fire. They're shoulder to shoulder, probably looking at this fire, uh, smoldering now after breakfast. And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And I just picture that scene where, you know, we've, we've all sat around a fire. In fact, during pandemic, we did lots of groups around fires, right? Sitting shoulder to shoulder to someone, looking at the flames, looking at the smoke dissipate. And he's asking, 
uh, do you love me, Peter? He's like, yeah, man, you're awesome. You're great. Peter, do you love me? You know, I'll never forget the time we've had together. (laughs) Peter, you think I'm a good guy? Peter knows what he's really asking. This is a picture of resurrection. You know, we think of Jesus resurrected and the the angels and the glowing light. This is Peter resurrected. (laughs) In fact, he's not Peter anymore. He's back to Simon. He's back fishing. And Jesus seeks him out sit shoulder to shoulder with him and ask him, do you love me? Ask him a question which is very vulnerable for Peter and it's it's very vulnerable for Jesus as well. This moment of vulnerability, that's resurrection. What we see there is Peter resurrected. And what then he moves forward says, feed my sheep. And so you have this idea of, of vocation and moving forward at the result of these questions. You know, and so there's something so powerful there. Meditate on that passage. That one's a great one. Jesus is not going to leave us there. He's seeking him out to move forward, asking him questions, right? And at the risk of this sounding like some sort of public service announcement for retreats and men's groups and women's groups, but that's what we need to do. We need a weekend where we're sitting shoulder to shoulder saying, where are you right now? What do you want? And we need mornings where we get up and have coffee. don't have to worry about the kids. And we need times where we have fun together. That's going to shake things up. Consider that, please. When we're thinking about, you know, the announcements and men's groups and retreats, those are important. That time sitting around the fire with the shoulder-to-shoulder talks are so important. Um, And that's why we do that. But Jesus is not going to leave Peter there. He gives him a vision for something new. And that's where we started, right? Lent opens up new possibilities for us. We love all these promises that we read about. We love this level of faith that this person writes this song. They're encamped against me. I just want to be in your temple, be with me. You know, those are the kind of prayers that we want. Lent can be that for us. Lent can be that for us as we move through and, and travel together. All right, let's sing. I think we're going to sing about this song. We're going to read uh, from Luke as well to prepare our hearts for um, the communion together. This is from Luke 13, verse 31. At that same time, at that time, some Pharisees came and said to him, um, At that time, some Pharisees said to him, Get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. And Jesus replied, Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. For the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. Today, tomorrow, the next day, I must proceed on my way. For it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. And now your house is abandoned and you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Jesus invites us in uh, to this very special occasion where we partake with him. We feed on him, his flesh and his blood. And we do that willingly um, because we recognize that there is a place where Jesus wants to protect us as a hen protects the chicks. We go there because we know that truly we are going home. Um, We're going to this place that is a secure place where we can dwell and we can imagine and we can ask questions and we can move forward. Um, And as hard as that image is, we know that that's the way forward for us, that Jesus walks there ahead of us. So we're going to take communion and Danielle will be out in the lobby and I will be up here. Um, As you feel led, come on up and take communion. If you have kids downstairs, let's go get them. We're going to sing and worship and pray together. In Jesus.